Roll Podcast. We have the saying that we are not from Norway, we're from Bergen. Absolutely historic, folks. And he has done an amazing job. Come in and demolish the course record. It's one thing to lose because you're a weaker performer, but if you lose because you choose a bad tactics, then you just beat yourself up because tactic is so easy to do something with. It's just like a matter of choice. The most important factor is nutrition and, and enough sleep. Being these outliers, outsiders, nobody's really paying attention to what you're doing. And this is over 10 years in the making. Your 2022 VinFast Ironman World Champion is Gustav Eden. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Well, today we're in for a treat. We've got a couple Vikings in the house. The Norsemen taking over the world of triathlon with ferocity. Their names are Gustav Eden and Christian Blumenfeld. And between these childhood friends and constant training companions hailing from Norway, there is no stone left unturned and no championship left unconquered. In an unprecedented period of just nine months, Christian was crowned Olympic champion in Tokyo. He recorded the fastest Ironman performance ever in his debut at the distance in Cozumel. He became the first person to go under seven hours at the 140.6 distance in the sub seven project clocking an astonishing assisted, yes, but still astonishing six hours and 44 minutes. And he also walked away victorious at the 2021 Ironman World Championships in St. George, Utah. On the other hand, hot off an absolutely spectacular debut victory at the Ironman World Championships in Kona on October 8th, just 10 days ago, a race in which Christian placed third, Gustav Eden, who happens to be the 2021 70.3 world champion, has now definitively emerged from Christian's formidable shadow, smashing the overall Kona course record with a blistering seven hours, 40 minutes and 24 seconds, also rewriting the marathon course record with a two hour, 36 minute and 15 second, 26.2 along the way. Personally, I was absolutely glued to the Ironman World Championship live stream all day on October 8. It was a barn burner of a race in which Christian and Gustav raced in tandem until the very end. And it was an absolute thrill to host both of them in studio, literally just two days after the epic race, the details of which we cover extensively in this conversation. We also discussed the nature of their unique training protocols, what a day in their lives looks like, the extreme science and data mining that underscores their training and racing protocols, as well as their advice for amateur athletes and more. In other words, how do they do it? Why are they so much better than everyone else? And what the heck is going on in Norway anyway? We'll get into all of that and more, but first. We're brought to you today by Momentus. Over the last 16 years, I can safely say that I have tried almost every single plant-based protein out there. And I can tell you that most of them are highly processed with tons of additives and or they taste terrible. They're not 
third-party tested or simply just don't hit the nutritional bullseye with a legit science-supported formula with the appropriate amino acid profile that promotes optimal nutrient absorption, which is all just a long way of saying how enthusiastic I was to be introduced to Momentus's 100% plant-based protein, which solves for all of the above and then some with a precise blend of pea and rice proteins, which yields a complete amino acid profile, tastes great, and has become my go-to to ensure my body is supplied with energy for proper recovery and function. Momentus products are simply the best in the industry, which is why they're used by over 90% of NFL teams, by Olympians, Tour de France champs, and world-class athletes across every sport. With all the BS in the supplement world, I trust Momentus's industry-leading quality standards and quality. Try Momentus for yourself by going to livemomentus.com slash richroll for 20% off plant-based protein and all of their top-of-the-line products. That's L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S dot com slash richroll for 20% off. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel. But what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you, after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics, and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built-to-move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in Fleetfoot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews, minus the alcohol, fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm gonna tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go. And it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own NA beer company, Go Brewing. 
I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia. And he shared this story with me. I savored his fare in all its varieties and deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions, I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients faithful to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small-batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story, but Basically, you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code RICHROLL for 15% off your first purchase. Final note, if you dig this vibe, I also recorded a separate podcast with our coach, Olav Alexander Boo who is a bit of a mad genius. And that's an amazing conversation that we will be releasing on a future undetermined as of now date. So there is that to look forward to. Anyway, waste further precious seconds. We will not, the Norwegian train is in the house. So uh, let's uh, tuck into that arrow position, hammer some watts and enjoy. Uh, welcome, guys. I'm so excited to talk to you. How are you guys feeling? Uh, right now, I'm extremely tired. <laughs> My chords are not good. Yeah. But I'm, yeah, extremely happy. Uh huh. Satisfied. And combination of hangover and just <laughs> lack of sleep. And uh, yeah. I asked you guys if you were able to sneak in a little partying after the race, but no, right? You had to get on a plane and get to LA. Yeah, so we went to the banquet afterwards, but that's just more like an award ceremony, so mm-hmm. no party. And uh, yeah, went straight to bed and came here. Came but, here, your bikes didn't make it. But I can't see what, like how people can even stay awake. Like <laughs> when you've been out, like it was getting up like 3.30 in the morning and then racing the whole day. And then uh, when the evening is coming, I'm just so, so tired. Yeah. Maybe they're saving themselves it's, for the after party and that's why not winning. Maybe. That after party is probably going on right now, (laughs) I would imagine. Well, I'm delighted that you've carved out time in your busy schedule uh, to sit down with me. It's just a treat uh, and an honor to talk to you both on the wake of such an extraordinary race. But before we even kind of get into any of that, I need to remind you that the most important thing is that Merely a year ago at the Malibu Triathlon, my relay took both of you guys out. And <laughs> really? that is what is important today. <laughs> Do you remember that's that? That's true. <laughs> did you win over us? I don't think we won. Maybe, did you guys win? I know yeah, we beat Christian's I, team. I Who was on your relay? It was me, Kassan uh, Bergand, and uh, one of the actors from uh, some Dustin. I can't remember the name. Maybe you guys, did you guys win the relay? I think we won. Right. Or at least we came on the podium. I think we got second sure. or third. I can't remember. I had yeah, I think Alexi Pappas yeah. and Mary Kane on my team. Okay. Think anyway. We just outside. Just outside. Yeah. yeah. Priorities, right? The Malibu Triathlon <laughs> Celebrity was Relay. That was a fun one. <laughs> um, listen, you guys, what you both have accomplished together separately is, is absolutely mind blowing. Um, obviously the big story uh, is Kona the other day, a race in which all the barriers were broken, all the records were smashed and mostly by rookies, like of all the men in the top four, they were all rookies, right? 
Ironman uh, Hawaii rookies at least. And uh, Gustav, you broke the previous course record set by Jan uh, for Dino back in 2019, absolutely destroyed it. Christian, you were third, but you're coming off an Olympic victory, the fastest ever Ironman you know, ever recorded, the sub seven project. I mean, between the two of you guys, there is no record that has been left untouched. And uh, it's, it's really an extraordinary feat. So here we are days after Kona. And I guess, you know, I asked you how you're feeling, but have you had a moment to kind of reflect back on the race with some perspective on what this means and kind of what it's setting you up to do next? I just felt like I've been walking from selfie to selfie and media request to media request. So yeah. I haven't really had the time to sit down with Ola, uh, yeah, my coach and Christian to do a bit more analyzing and yeah, really see how we, we did. So uh, yeah, I don't think I realized uh, what I've done yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we have two different uh, feelings about the race because obviously both of us sure. want to win. And uh, so I've like, when I flew in here yesterday, like when I was listening to music, the only thing I was thinking about, like, why didn't I win? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then what could I have done differently? And uh, so I've had a little bit of time to reflect, uh, but it's just like in the back of the mind. Right. So obviously uh, unfinished business for you, Christian. Um, and it's interesting cause you know, you guys grew up together, you've known each other forever. You do all your training together. There is this camaraderie, this friendship, but also a rivalry. And you know, all eyes were on the both of you running together you know, through the latter part of the marathon, who was gonna break away and when was that gonna happen? And most of the spotlight has been on you, Christian, because of your past performances. Gustav, you hadn't yet had that opportunity to really kind of flex and, and shine. You missed that opportunity in St. George by being sick. Um, so this was really your moment. Did you have the confidence going in that you could accomplish this? Are you surprised or you know, how are you feeling about kind of emerging from, you know, I don't wanna say shadow in a pejorative way, but you've always been sort of uh, a little bit you know, behind Christian in terms of attention and expectations, even though you won the 70.3 world championship and all the rest of your accomplishments. Yeah, so I don't think I link uh, my confidence to past performance that much and especially not to uh, media attention. So uh, back in 2019, I looked at myself as a favorite to win the to win the 73 World Championship, even though basically no one uh, thought I could do it. So yeah, for sure, I, I thought I could uh, win this race. Uh, as I said, me and Christian training together and we know where the level is at. Mm-hmm. And I felt really strong and especially the run lately. So I knew I had a, a really good chance of beating Christian in a race. And I knew if I, I was beating Christian, the, the reigning world champion, then uh, I think uh, it would beat everyone else as well. Yeah, and and this rivalry that you have, are you still buddies? Like you guys cool with each other? You got to spend all this time together. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's like it's a, I would say a quite cool dynamic because uh, in training we try to build each other up as much as possible and really get the best out of every training session. But it's on race day. It's uh, it's the same up to a certain point where you're trying to. Uh, 
you're working yeah. together. Yeah, you're working together, but you long. also you want to beat him, but you also want him to perform. Mm-hmm. So it's. Uh, I, yeah. fe- I felt we had like a moment there on the way back from Harvey when Magnus have had the penalty. Yeah. And we had Sam Laidlow up front. Yeah. Even though we didn't believe he would be able to run. And then we were like, maybe both understanding that, okay, now it's actually just a race between you and me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then still, we can't let Sam get away and we can't get the guys behind just to catch up. So we still have to right. work together. Yeah. So uh, it's a really um, interesting dynamic, I have to say. Yeah. And also, there was a lot of teamwork on the bike and on yeah. the run. I mean, I noticed coming out of every aid station, you would swap who would lead. Like there was a lot of like cooperation there until it's sort of coming out of the energy lab and then it's anybody's game, Th- that, right? That wasn't really collaboration. <laughs> that was, tell me what was going on. He yeah, forced so, me. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I went to the lead and had a lead, um, yeah, for, for most of the run, uh-huh. but I didn't want to, uh, it's one thing to lose because you're like a weaker performer but if you lose because you choose a bad tactics and that you could done differently and then won, then mm-hmm. you just beat yourself up because tactic is so easy to do something with. It's just like a matter of choice. And if I had run up to Energy Lab in the front in the headwind the whole way and Christian would take me like the last few uh, case, I would be so, sure. so, so mad. Sure. So, so you get, I, like I your turn, to, you get in front. But, but that's yeah, I tried to make him go to the front as well. That's just a, to, uh, That's yeah. the upside and downside why training so much together. Like, because I knew that he was coming in in great run shape. And if I wanted to have a chance to beat him, I couldn't share the work with him. Mm-hmm. I had to really, yeah, play my card right. And yeah, so every time. Yeah, we both tried to play our cards. Yeah. It was just that, that they didn't match up. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because you know each other's cards. So there's yeah. no secrets, right? Yeah, but I was a bit uncertain because, uh, yeah, Sam Laidlow, way up front, he still had like four minutes mm-hmm. uh, or 340 uh, after, I don't know, 20K or something. And uh, I knew that I had to run quite fast to catch him because it was no sign of him blowing up. And I had my brother on course and he said, Sam is actually looking good. Right. And yeah, no sign of him blowing. So uh, yeah, I wanted to catch him obviously, but also didn't want Christian to just sit behind and wait for, for a sprint. Right, for you So I made him go to the front, but every time he went to the front, he was running, yeah, not slow in like the general slowness, but quite a bit uh, slower than uh, what I was running when I was to the front. So we were actually losing a bit of time when he went to the front. Mm-hmm. And I thought that uh, this guy is playing it so cool now. He is, uh, yeah, doing like this insane mental game, trying to get me to work the whole way. <laughs> but uh, I realized that soon we were fighting for a second place and none of us wanted only right. second place. So then I have to, had to make my move and yeah, go after it. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting uh, seeing Laidlow up front for so long and the expectation being, of course, that he would blow up. He's a rookie, he's so young. It's just a matter of time. You guys are gonna you know, eat this guy alive at some point. And yet he continued to maintain that gap, uh, you know, kilometer after kilometer and even into the run, right? It, so at some point you realize like, we gotta make a move probably earlier than we would have ordinarily because this guy might make it to the finish line. Like it becomes, uh, you know, a matter of how much real estate you have left. So I know in a, you know, there was an interview with you, Gustav, there was some sort of 
smack talking between the two of you guys, Christian, you were like, well, I've been beating Gustav in training for the last two weeks, handily, this is gonna be no problem. And you were saying, yeah, but you know, he doesn't know I'm holding back, wait till <laughs> the last five miles. But you made your move at, I think with like eight miles to go. Yeah, so my plan was always to really kick it after Energy Lab. Mm-hmm. Uh, we developed a new shoe together with uh, On, and it's been a really, really cool project. And that shoe oh, is just—you got the plug in. The no, sponsor this, plug. this is yeah. It's, <laughs> I'm working up to the wow. to the point now. Right. So, but the you shoe got some media training in you. <laughs> <laughs> the shoe is is made for uh, like the faster bits, like downhill and uh, tailwind. It's just perfect for those conditions. So out of Energy Lab, I was struggling a bit, was going uphill. And so you did struggle. Yeah, but Christian also had a gap on me there. <laughs> so uh-huh. I thought he was just playing with me. No, when I, had I a did gap. also, but I, I did lose. You guys haven't bit. talked about this yet? Not, not too much. We're going <laughs> for media, uh, yeah. media to media. So this is the first time we have to lay it all down. So you get the, you get the fresh uh, conversation. I appreciate now. that. Yeah. Keep going. Um, but yeah, he had a gap on me there. And I knew that he knew that he had a gap on me. And normally when you have a gap, that is where you try to accelerate a bit to just mm-hmm. break the rubber. But uh, yeah, he didn't do it. So then I knew how he was like kind of on the limit. So I out did. of Energy Lab, I just accelerated and, right. and went for it down yeah. the hill. And when you made that acceleration, you knew you had to gap him like with force, right? Rather than just sort of slowly pull him along, like you had to just break the chain. For Christian or for Sam? For for Christian yeah, to yeah. get that gap yeah. and then to eat up time so that you were sure you were gonna pass Sam in time before the finish line. Yeah, at that time I was more worried about Sam actually because uh, he was still two minutes up the way and mm-hmm. no sign of slowing down. But I I ran a, like a period there, I ran a three minute case in the in the marathon. <laughs> It's it was it was downhill, but uh, still. So what I was is just, that? I was just looking. Mile pace like five thirties or something. Quicker. I have no is idea. It like, yeah. uh, I know five. you guys do kilometers. Yeah. Um, insane. Like my kind of overall takeaway just from watching the race is that it's just at a whole new level. Like I'm used to seeing, um, you know, people blow up on the run, and even the best, like walking at times or throwing up and having GI issues, all that stuff that you know we've all seen over the years. And this just looked like a sprint from start to finish. Obviously you had incredible conditions. There wasn't any wind. Um, so it's not a say, surprise. That, that's that a lie. That's it, a lie. It didn't look like it. I mean, these bike splits are unreal. <laughs> yeah, but it was still was wind, but the wind was, uh, it was quite favorable. It wasn't like insane conditions, but it was good. And especially on the run, I felt like it was a lot of wind, hmm. especially going out. Yeah, that uh, was a lot of headwind. Did yeah. you get some overcast late in the day or no? Uh, no, not, it, it was in the start. Right in the beginning of the yeah. bike. Yeah. Yeah. But, but also the wet. start was like earlier this year. Didn't you, you guys started in the dark basically, which is unusual. Uh, 625. Yeah, yeah, so maybe that, I don't know. Yeah, me first, first timers, we don't know when they yeah, know we're when rookies. Start. Yeah, <laughs> we're rookies in Ireland. But nobody's blowing up, nobody's walking, nobody's vomiting. Everybody is so dialed, like even through transitions, everything like the execution was flawless. So the competition level is just, you know, beyond anything that we've ever seen. I mean, it's crazy. Like even Keenley had like an unbelievable race. Was that his fastest time? Yeah. And he was way back there, you know, it's like he yeah. didn't even fifth or something like that, I think. How many uh, guys sixth, broke the yeah. bike course record? I think 
think it was only Laidlow. Who broke the bike course, yeah. Well, Maybe Cam, were, Cam, no, I think Cam like Ryan? a bunch of you, well, Cam's record was like 409, I think, right? Mm, okay, and we did 411, I think. Oh, you did, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I thought a whole bunch of guys. Yeah, but, it was but the overall record, plenty of people did. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. But 10 guys on the eight hours that like, is just like, for five years ago, that was like the course record as well. Right. So the whole field has been just improving and getting mm. faster and I guess getting more knowledge about how to really race a full distance Ironman and not just finish it. Right. Because often there has been, uh, yeah, the last survivor who's gonna win. And now you really have to be able to be tactical and really push that last bit and race it. Yeah, you, there, no mistakes. You can't make any, any mistakes and expect to win. Um, one of the things about Kona, this race in particular and, and the big island is sort of the mystique around it, the spirituality of the island, the mana, you know, uh, not ruffling the feathers of Madame Pele. And I know Christian, <laughs> you're like, I don't have time for that. Like that's a bunch of nonsense. Uh, but having not achieved your goal this year, are you rethinking that? Are you gonna Are you gonna get down on your knees for Madame Pele a little bit? <laughs> you know, like I, Mark I, Allen talks I, a lot about this. I, and it I, took I him seven years, and it wasn't until he kind of like had a reverence or or like a humility for the forces of that very special place that he was able to conquer it and win. Maybe, maybe I should have put a lava rock in his bag. Yeah. So he left with never it. to. Yeah, <laughs> like that. Yeah, the worst <laughs> omen for people that don't know. Like never remove a, a lava rock from no, the island. No, I think uh, like. I did still had a decent performance myself. So it's not like I blew up and walked in energy lab. Mm -hmm. So uh, I don't think it was the mystery of the island that did that I didn't win. So, yeah. but of course, um, like watching those, um, the videos from his finish shoot and like seeing all the people there and it's really a race. I do wanna cross the finish line first and uh, I do have to come back and experience that feeling. Yeah. I guess it was amazing. Yeah, it was, uh, it was amazing. And uh, I actually spoke uh, to Mark a bit about it. So uh, it's, if, uh, as a winner, you have to have a speech mm -hmm. at, the, at the banquet and asked him, what, what should I say? And he said that um, I should give more credit to the island and less credit to my lucky hat. So I have, yeah. I have so like, what did you say? Did you take that in? No, no, no. no. He's speaking some wisdom there. You should <laughs> ponder that. Do some journaling around that idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, you you said after the race, like uh, I don't know if I'm coming back. Like one and done. Is that how you're feeling still? I wouldn't say one and done, but I would come back first thing. Mm. Um, for now, it's all about Paris Olympics for me, mm -hmm. 2024, and. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's hard to keep your priorities straight when uh, you have so many opportunities and you have so many things to do. So I think for now it's better to just say no and uh, try to focus only on Paris. Right, and Christian, reflecting on, on the race and your performance, are you thinking about how you can improve, what went wrong, where you can make changes, like where where is your head at? You're not used to you know coming in third. So what is this, what's going on inside that brain? Well, now it's more like to understand why I was struggling so much to keep up with him on the run. Like if it was because of the surges on the bike or if I was just not good enough in the run training before. Uh, but it's difficult to have like a 
pure answer to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. Back in the lab. And you just try to, un- you're just questioning yourself like all the time and uh, you just feel like, okay, I really have to come back. <laughs> yeah. Well, you seem like somebody who is motivated by these sort of circumstances. I think uh, I'm getting more motivated by this. Yeah. <laughs> like finishing third and I'm by winning races because then it's just back in the mind and just, yeah, it's like painful the whole mm-hmm. for weeks afterwards. And uh, luckily now we have another race in St. George in two weeks, two and a half weeks. And uh, that's more like, okay, I can get my revenge there and use that to kind of forget this race a little bit. Right, I mean, typically after a race like Kona, most athletes would take a break. In two weeks, you have 70.3s, no break for you guys. And that's an interesting amount of time. Like you can't really do any buildup. You've got to recover from Kona. All you can do is really uh, sort of rest and sharpen the edge of your sword a little bit, right? But, like, but it's not just that we have St. George, we have the following week, we go back again to Olympic distance for the mm-hmm. Bermuda race and then, Three weeks later, we have the grand final. So we've been through all the different distances. It's like a, <laughs> this is like season. mid-season for you. Yes, so uh, I think we use three, four days more of recovery. Yeah, from and now then, yeah. And yeah. then uh, maybe some intensity for the weekend and then trying to dial in some speed again for right. the shorter distance. Right, all right. So you guys are known as the Norwegian train. Everybody is fascinated by what's happening in Bergen. I'm gonna talk to Olav after I talk to you guys and we can dive into the science, but I think people are fascinated by and interested in like what it is that you guys are doing that's different. Like, why are you so good? Why are you so fast? So can we talk a little bit about your approach to training and what has distinguished you guys from what everyone else is doing? Uh, I think it's uh, people talk like what's in the water in Bergen or Mm -hmm. something, but I think it's, it is slightly random that we have that many good athletes from Bergen, but it's definitely a culture thing. So uh, me and Christian, we have been yeah, basically in love with training for yeah, 15 years. Yeah, like since you guys a, were like 13 pretty, years old, at right? At a high 12. level. So even uh-huh. before that, we did a lot of training, but uh, we have been, well, I see myself as a, as a professional since I was basically 14 years old. I was training, better than than some pros do today. Mm. So I think it's been uh, a lot of volume, high quality training for many, many, many years that has made us into the athletes we are today. And it's not some, yeah, I don't know, higher power. And I guess we've also been living in this bubble like within the group and not just looking at what everyone else is doing, but we like, if we wanna catch up, we have to be more extreme. We have to train more, we have to, uh, take it like one step further in every uh, part of the sport. And I think also the fact that we've been like in that bubble has really helped us to, yeah, just uh, accelerate. Right, kind of being these outliers, outsiders, yeah. nobody's really paying attention to what you're doing and you could kind of go deep um, when the stakes were low and there were no expectations and you know find a certain kind of groove that ultimately is paying dividends. I mean, this is like over 10 years in the making. And also no history now. in the sport. So mm-hmm. Because we had right. no history, we had to make the pathway ourselves. So we haven't just been following someone. Uh, yeah, and uh, if you're known for being the ones who train the best, the ones who train the most extreme, it's kind of like a positive feedback loop. 
So since everyone's saying is, yeah, you're training the best, you're smartest, so scientific, you kind of uh, grow into that even more. And that makes you think, okay, we have to do everything more, have to do everything more scientific. So it's for sure, it's good to be known to be good because then you think uh, you're good yourself. So I think it's something about that as well. Well, I see it as a confluence of all of these factors that you couldn't have predicted. Like you have, you you're, you come from a cycling background originally, right? And Christian, you come from swimming. Swimming, swimming. believe it or not. Yeah, <laughs> no, I can believe it. Um, at a time when uh, Norway hadn't put anybody on a triathlon Olympic team for I don't know how long, ever maybe. Had there been yeah, never. Never before. Uh, but suddenly you have uh, an interest in Norway for truly developing a professional approach to the sport um, with, what, what was his name? Arid Tveiten? Arid Tveiten. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, I'm, not, I'm never gonna pronounce that right. <laughs> and who came into the picture around 2011 and then with Olav entering around 2015, 16, um, observing what was going on at the uh, Rio Olympics and then bringing a whole level of new professionalism um, and science into the approach. So it's like these individuals who kind of come together with athletes like yourself and Casper, of course, uh, who are highly motivated and willing to go all in, like without any one of those elements, none of this happens. So it's kind of a really special thing. I think of it as sort of like, um, like Bergen and triathlon is not dissimilar culturally from like what was happening with grunge music in Seattle in the 90s. Like it's, a, it's like a special place where there's an energy uh, and a focus that you know, ultimately over time, you know, ripples out and creates something really cool and unique. And I think also the fact that when we started so young, we had this uh, 10 years vision within the team. Uh -huh. uh, so when we were 16, 17, we had, it wasn't just that we should be uh, winning the junior world championship the next year or getting into the uh, yeah next world cup we did think like 10 years ahead and we had that support and uh, believe and understanding that it's like a long journey right. that we're having ahead of us uh, when we started back in 2010 2011 and I think we got support from the olympic tv team even in 2014 and not just for Paris, I mean for um, uh, Rio, mm -hmm. but, or not just for Tokyo, but also for Paris back in right. so 10 years ahead. And that long-term vision, I think uh, has been good to have like behind us. It's so important that long-term view, like we're not gonna be, you know, world champions overnight. We're gonna take, we're gonna look at this in 10 year blocks and we're thinking way, way down the line, like for anybody who's trying to achieve any kind of goal, like having that kind of lens and you know, building the foundation and the consistency over a huge period of time. I mean, that's truly how you achieve outrageous, audacious results. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we've done a lot of things right over the years, but we have also learned a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think the way we approached it in the start was a bit too extreme for, for many of the athletes. So Christian said it's uh, the egg uh, philosophy. Egg philosophy. So you take the whole basket of eggs and just throw uh -huh. it at the wall, and then see who who doesn't crack. You weeded out a lot yeah. of people early. So, so how many of are how many are there of you now on the team? From the start, we are four. 
Yeah, so we haven't compared to like bigger nation who haven't burned through too many, yeah. really. We but have. we had uh, quite a few dropouts way in the start because uh, yeah, the volume was a bit high and a lot of injuries and yeah. But that's also because we didn't have any qualification standards. It was more like we op open up the door so everyone who wants to come in, like if we were just thinking about triathlon, you could come in and be a part of the first camp that we had. So I think yeah. it's also down so, to that. Uh, back then uh, I, I went there with my brother and one of the, the main guys in triathlon Norway, he said, those Eden brothers, they will never <laughs> learn how to swim. They will never become anything. <laughs> he have uh, like said that uh, he regret those words and he's a really a cool dude, but uh, it's a bit funny looking back now. Uh-huh, yeah, <laughs> the ultimate revenge you, yeah. you've had on that. <laughs> but he didn't actually say it to me though, so that's good. Right. Yeah. We're brought to you today by Birch. If you're serious about optimizing your sleep, listen up. I've spent countless hours researching and testing various methods to improve my nightly shut-eye, and I can confidently say that it all starts with a good foundation. And if your bed is old, if it's uncomfortable, lumpy, then your sleep inevitably is gonna be impacted. So it's important to invest in a quality mattress, one that's insanely comfortable, that's organic, sustainably made, and that, my friends, is a birch mattress. Fair Trade and Rainforest Alliance certified with the finest quality organic natural materials like organic fair trade cotton. Birch mattresses are made with none of the toxic chemicals and off-gassing produced by most major brands. Kind of important not to be breathing that for a third of your life, I'd say. Plus, it's super luxurious. I've been sleeping on birch for about five years. And I'd say it's the perfect ratio of soft, to supportive, and the craftsmanship is just next level. I've got one in every room of my house. I love it, pretty sure you will too. And right now, Birch is giving 20% off all mattresses and two free EcoRest pillows at birchliving.com slash richroll. That's 20% off and two free EcoRest pillows. Sleep better with Birch. We're brought to you today by Seed. Gut health is all the rage. There's good reason for that. I've probably devoted, I don't know, at least a dozen episodes of this podcast to the many, many crucial ways the microbiome contributes to your overall well-being or lack thereof, and to the many diet and lifestyle protocols we should all adopt to promote gut health, from fermented food to fiber and everything in between, including, of course, the importance of supplementing with a probiotic. And the one that I have come to trust far beyond the shenanigans of the supplement world is Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. It's the most solid, science-based, and rigorously evidence-backed probiotic and prebiotic on the market. Formulated for optimal digestion, gut immune function, gut barrier integrity, skin health. In fact, my 16-year-old daughter has been using it to clear up a significant acne issue, and it's been wonderful, as well as many other systemic benefits. Like I said, I've been taking it daily personally for years. I love it. My body loves it. And right now for our listener community, Seed is offering 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Visit seed.com slash richroll and use the code richroll25 to redeem this offer. That's seed.com slash richroll or code richroll25. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. 
And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple, search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. Let's talk about the particulars of, of the training and the data mining that you guys are doing. I mean, I think you know most people who are in the endurance world or who have participated in triathlon or Ironman, kind of understand lactate testing fundamentally or zone training and periodization. But you guys have taken kind of those traditional approaches and just elevated it to a whole new place. Like I think you're, you're, you're doing like lactate pricks like multiple times throughout every single session, doing multiple sessions a day, seven days a week. Like what, what exactly, like dispel some of the mystique here. Like what, walk me through like what your understanding and I'll, I'll get deeper into it with Olaf, but from your perspective as athletes, like what are you doing when um, you're doing all this testing and how is that impacting your approach to training, recovery and racing? Yeah, so uh, it's not that we do lactate on every single session, but it's some periods we really have uh, more focus on it. And uh, we do lactate both to like calibrate your own feeling of intensity control. So um, it is, uh, I think it's a lot of mystery how we do the lactate testing and no one is really understanding it completely. And that even includes me. So we do, uh, yeah, I understand the numbers and understand how I'm feeling, but sometimes uh, Olav is saying something that doesn't really make sense to me, but then uh, we do one more test and it's like, yeah, it was correct. So uh, the, the lactate, Testing is so advanced that, yeah. I'm and basically not... what it's doing, it's telling you where your certain thresholds are, like how much you're dipping into your glycogen stores, yeah. like how, you know, are you training your aerobic engine? Are you tipping into your anaerobic? Like, what are you learning about that that then impacts like the kind of sessions that you're doing? Well, it's quite complex. So uh, the whole idea is to, just maximize, so to have your engine and so you can really maximize your engine for the distance you're racing. 
So for example, when we have a preparing for a short distance race, then we want to have like a different lactate response uh, for the energy yeah, or where we're getting the energy from. And uh, uh, so sometimes you do want to have like a, a quicker lactate production, for example, for a shorter distance of racing. And when you go into a longer distance, then you want to have the opposite. Mm -hmm. So it really depends on where your metabolic profile is. Right, and you guys are very different athletes, right? And I'm sure your training is very personalized to your specific. Yeah, so like, we, uh, in general, we trend opposite directions. So if we just train exactly the same, I would trend uh, uh, more and more explosive, but Christian would trend slightly different direction. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we have to do some, uh, some adjustment in the training plan. So we do some, uh, yeah, small metabolic um, test to see where we're at. Because uh, yeah, we have like this um, yeah, period of uh, really specialization into the race. Mm -hmm. So the last bit of uh, preparation going into Kona, Olaf said, uh, yeah, you Gustav, we need to put a bit more threshold training into this program now because your, your trend is uh, not where we want it to be. So we have to do slightly difference. So it's not that we're training like a different program, but it's more instead of the last 10 minutes of a threshold session, I might go longer, like twice the distance, but Christian might go harder mm -hmm. to like balance out the different. Uh, right, you have, you, you're more of like a top end guy. Christian, you have this huge anaerobic capacity, but that means that you have to learn how to back off, right? Cause you can dip into that and go too deep to too soon? No, I think more opposite. Like uh, I got that all wrong. Um, the, <laughs> even though I look, <laughs> even though I look very muscular and like strong, uh -huh. uh, uh, I do miss that top end power. So I really need to do those surges in training. So while while he naturally have that top end speed and he can do that final K super fast in training, mm -hmm. but that's going to be more costly for him than right. it is for me. He'll need more Re recovery. Really sprinting that final K. So. Uh, often how we like uh, do our session differently into a big race is that I can do more high intensity uh -huh. and he have to be- but I might do right. a long threshold session instead. Right, right, right. And, and that's also why I can race back to back to back uh -huh. uh, short distance races because the stimulus I'm getting from the race is almost just a positive uh, stimulus for next weekend. Mm -hmm. While you will then be yeah. producing more and more lactate. Yeah. So, I'm an explosive beast towards the end. Right. So you have a higher, you have a crazy VO2 max, Gustav, right? Yeah, it's we like both have, uh, yeah, above 90 at our, our peaks. Right. But right now I'm, I'm certain I'm pretty low. So, the, um, yeah, it costs a lot to have a high VO2 max. And to do an Ironman, you want to be as efficient as possible. Mm -hmm. So we now basically at our lowest VO2 max, I think, in a few years because of the general training we've been doing. So now it's a challenge to try to- You gotta get it back up To now. get it back up and um, get it to the standard of the Olympic distance racing. Right. And you, Christian, like you, 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 you're sort of like Michael Phelps, like you don't produce lactate, right? <laughs> it's so <laughs> annoying sometimes. <laughs> I, uh, I like have to slow down, slow down, slow uh -huh. down. In altitude training, especially. We train in uh, Sierra Nevada in Spain, 2,300 meters above sea level. I don't mm -hmm. know what that is, is in feet. It's like 8,005, isn't it? Yeah, 8,005 yeah. feet. And uh, yeah, feel like I'm jogging at threshold. 
and I still have too high lactate, so just have to slow down. And then I see right. Christian, oh, you you need you have to increase. <laughs> You're running too slow. Right. And uh, even though it's the it's the right stimulus, I need to run slower because that is the best way for me to perform. You feel so shit. Mm-hmm. When you're when you're training at uh, a speed slower than my Ironman pace, so um, yeah, it's uh, it can be a bit annoying sometimes seeing his right. Because uh, conversely, like Christian, like <laughs> altitude doesn't really affect you, right? But you then you also don't get that hemoglobin boost I, from that. I do get stimulus. a good stimulus, but I think it's more down to that I have such big lungs. So at threshold uh-huh. work, I can. I'm just. I still have enough oxygen for the the workload or like to to stay, to keep the pace high. Uh, yeah, so it's, yeah, especially when we do bike intervals, then we start at, yeah, 3000 feet mm-hmm. and uh, work our way up. Mm-hmm. And I feel so good in the start. Right. Like now it's a lot of oxygen, I'm ready to push, low lactate. And then we come like halfway up the mountain and I see Christian like just increasing the power and I'm just struggling more and more. So it can be a bit annoying to train with sometimes <laughs> with his lactate response, but... Uh, yeah, I know yeah. it's the best for me, so it helps, but yeah. But there, there are opposite because if we are riding down from Sierra Nevada, then it's tend to be like 25 degrees. So it's significantly warmer than it's up in Sierra Nevada. So I'm more feeling the heat is slowing me down. Mm-hmm. And then the, the higher up I climb, like up to uh, maybe 1700, 2000 meter, that's where like the fresh air is coming. So when he's starting to feel a lack of oxygen, then I'm more feeling the bonus of having fresh, cold air. So I can just (laughs) accelerate. What's interesting about that is it's gotta gotta keep the training because you guys do all your training together fresh. Like you're very different, right? So it's not like if you were equally matched in your strengths and weaknesses, you guys might burn out like having to train with each other every single day, but understanding that you operate differently, you can still, you know, have that camaraderie because it's not like uh, I don't know, like you're not, you don't, you're not like racing each other every single day. No, 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 no. So uh, we like to like win every single session, but to win a session is not that you go the fastest of last 400 meters, except if we have like a race prep session and the point is to go as fast as you can mm-hmm. the last 400 meters. It's more that you want to hit the optimal numbers all the time you want to to have the best execute uh, re- on yeah, the yeah, intention yeah, best of the execution workout. yeah yeah so uh, i think that's where we're excelling the most as well because uh, we have a deeper understanding of what we're doing and why we're doing the session and if you know why you're doing a session you understand uh, more the changes you can do yourself so uh, if someone just tells you run 10 times 1k and you don't understand why you're doing it, you would just mm-hmm. go out and do 10 times 1K. But if you have an understanding of what pace you should be running at and what the uh, optimal execution is, then you can, for example, uh, run yeah, progressive or the last bit even faster, or yeah, you can change up the session according to what your daily need is. So I think uh, that's where we are really, really good. Yeah, and what is the, partnership with Olav like? Like, does he say, here's what we're doing and then you do it? Or is it more a dialogue where you're like, okay, here's how I'm feeling today. Like, is there a discussion about it? Is there ever pushback when he says, I want you to do this? And you're like, no, I don't think I should be doing that today. Or sometimes just whatever he says you do. Yeah, so uh, he can say, uh, we we should do this. And then me and Christian will come with a suggestion. No, we want this. 
and then he says why we shouldn't do it and or, explains we, why we are wrong. Or, or okay. but then you have to take the consequences yeah. of that. Yeah, so yeah. it's all about consequences. So we can say, uh, yeah, we, we need to swim a bit harder because in the swim we'll be lacking a bit and mm. me and Christian both thinks that uh, we need to change the swim program a bit and do a bit shorter and more intensity swim sessions in the pool. And it's like, yeah, you can do that, but here's the consequences. Mm. And uh, we we do a lot of discussion and Olav is a great teacher. So we we learn why we're wrong. Right. But we also plan or he plans like probably six months yeah. in advance. <laughs> uh, but then also like we change maybe, so, and then you have like the three weeks plan, but then you can also change like the last three, four days. We always like have like a, bigger picture, but we can also change very quickly the sessions. So if we, within the next week, see that uh, we are where we want to be in terms of VO2 max, right. then we are not just keeping up the program and trying to improve the VO2 max just because that's a plan, mm-hmm. but then we can change the focus and work on our limitation for the next race. Right. But since they plan so much in advance, we can come to a training session and he have no idea what we're doing. Like he he planned everything. He knows why we're doing it. He knows uh, like the details when he's planning it. But when we come to the training session, it's like I can't remember why I wrote this, but it must be a reason behind it. Uh-huh. We, we we have then have to tell him the program when he's at the pool like, So okay, today we have the four hundred with non, ninety seconds rest. And then uh-huh. it takes like maybe one minute. He has to like scan his whole brain, and then. He comes up. Uh, he remembers why we're doing it, and right. then we can uh, do the session. Got it. Or he can change it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not agree with myself. Two <laughs> weeks ago, <laughs> let's change it. Yeah. Two weeks ago, me was stupid. Oh, now let's change to 400 meters instead. Yeah. Um, Christian, if you if you pull up the sleeve on your left arm, you can see the uh, continuous glucose monitor that you have there. Um, do you wear one as well? Yep. I'm interested. I you got so are you both with Super Sapiens on that? Yeah. Um, what have you learned from using that in terms of, you know, how you're managing glucose and how that impacts um, your daily nutrition and also race nutrition? Yeah, so uh, for me, the biggest learning was that sometimes in uh, especially altitude training, I could get really, really tired and borderline sick. And it usually happened, yeah, twice every altitude camp. Mm -hmm. And then I noticed uh, throughout the night before I got tired, I had basically low sugar levels through the whole night and just trying to be more aware of the continuous eating. And even if a rest day, try to stay on top of the nutrition and eat more. Mm-hmm. So I- Does it impact the type of foods that you eat? Uh, not that? really. And I was, I was surprised actually, because you think that uh, drinking Coke or yeah, sugary product that you would spike, but for me, I spike the same if I eat bread or like slow releasing carbohydrates and everything. So it's, uh, yeah, for me, it's only the mornings. I have like insane spike in the morning, no matter what I eat. Mm-hmm. But I haven't, cha- I haven't changed my breakfast or anything. I just d- see, see what the number gives me. And, Much yeah. the same, like, and I think the most important is like you're learning to really feel quickly after the sessions. So you're always like on top of your nutrition. So, uh, because if not, it's easy to go like 40 to 60 minutes after a tough run session before you're getting your some something to eat. Mm-hmm. But when you're aware of your glucose level, it's easy to be kind of planning and in uh, having your r- routine. So you're always having like 
calories on board. Right, so monitoring that, does that spill over into how you're fueling throughout a race? Uh, fueling throughout a race is pretty simple. It's uh, get as much, much in as you can tolerate. So um, we're working with uh, Morten, right. a Swedish uh, company. And uh, that has allowed us to basically go way, way, way higher in the carbs than what is normally considered uh, okay for the stomach. So uh, I think using Super Sapiens could be helpful, but it's basically just do as much as you can tolerate mm -hmm. for us. And even there we're doing some samplings where we are, so because of the special types of carbohydrates that's in the Morton, uh, Olav and the Morton team can, uh, based on our breath, analyze how many grams we are able to take up when you are riding. Based on your breath. Yeah. yeah. And then by looking at the, the the master or the oxygen intake we're using and the power, they can then calculate how sustainable this is. Mm. So, so, you know, for Ironman, uh, it's easy to do 350 watts for a given period of time. Mm -hmm. But when you then have to do it for, uh, or 300 watts for like four hours and then run after it, then uh, uh, at one point you will most likely just bunk. But but based on this, like you can calculate and see like how far you can get and how much power you can produce without right. uh, uh, ending up in the basement. Right, yeah, there is something specific about what Morton is doing that is really helpful in terms of, of staving off the GI distress that you see particularly in humid places like Kona. Yeah, so yeah. they have uh, this technology that doesn't, uh, the carbs don't get absorbed as early as the other products. So it, that it, it is basically encapsulated in uh, hydrogel. So it goes longer or deeper into the, into the system before you take it up. So it, you don't have the same stress in the stomach. Right. But it's saying that also before one of the big sessions I had before Kona, I felt fine and we went running. It was a brick session and we came maybe, yeah, 10K into the run. And I just vomited everything I had in my stomach. And I don't know if it was the Morton or the heat or what it was, but at, at that point I was, a bit stressed for the race right. because, uh, yeah, under two weeks out and vomiting is not optimal when you're <laughs> when no. you're racing. So um, still, with the best product in the world, you can do things wrong. And uh, I was lucky I didn't, it didn't, didn't happen in the rain. Didn't race. you just have a coke? Yeah, but I, I really felt like I felt it coming. Okay, mm. and uh, I tried to just have some different taste in my mouth and just drink something different. So I felt like, okay, now I'm gonna puke. Yeah. Took like the smallest sip of Coke and then just everything came up. That's scary. Also, I'm sure being a student of the sport and knowing that many a great champion has been felled by that very thing. Like Maka talks about it all the time. It took him years to figure out like how to not have GI distress just so he could like run the way that he had trained to run to win the race. Yeah, but we are, uh, we're kind of lucky both of us because we can handle a great amount in training, but also in a day-to-day -day life, just uh -huh. eating a lot, so. But figuring that out, there was a very scientific approach that I, I can't wait to talk to Olaf about. I mean, I know that you would drink water that was laced with isotopes <laughs> to try to figure out your, you know, what, not just like how much glycogen you should be taking in, but, you know, whether or not the glycogen you were burning was from 
your glycogen stores versus the foods that you were eating, like getting really data-driven about the specifics of that to kind of dial in what that nutrition plan should be. Yeah, that was more to find out what are actual uh, consumption of- Or, like or figuring to out. To see the yeah. whole budget you can track. Yeah. Because if because with the the water that we drank and then later on peed on every morning, uh-huh. you could see then how many calories we could burn through over like two weeks period of time without losing weight. And then we really tried to do as much training as possible. And based on these numbers, then Olaf can then in his training plan, he can see that, okay, if you do this amount or this so long bike ride with this power, then you're gonna burn through so many calories. Mm-hmm. And if we do this every day, then you will be burned out because mm-hmm. you can't eat enough. So it's more for him to have this uh, budget of how much he can actually give us in training. Right. So we have a lot of people with us, or m- more before, but we had a lot of people joining us for training camps and uh, we call it a 10 day crack. So a lot of people can train a lot for a week without feeling uh, burnt out. But after about 10 days, then you, when you're training too much every day and you're eating too little and just like fading slowly every day, you won't notice until it's been mm-hmm. overdue. And at 10 right. days, most people would crack and either get uh, injured or sick or just tired in bed. So it's uh, it's definitely a real thing to see how much you're eating and try to compensate. Sure. One of the things I noticed watching you guys race the other day was just how frequently you would look at your watch, right? And I was like, what are, I wanna know what the data fields are on, on your whatever, I don't know if it's, it's a Garmin or whatever watch you were wearing. Like, are you just looking at heart rate, pace, you know, on the bike, watts? Is this also a reflection of, of your continuous glucose monitor? Like what were the data points that you were most interested in staying on top of? Uh, for the run for me, it's, it's a comfort thing, I think. So I feel like I was running slower and slower. So to just have the number of the pace uh, that I was actually running uh, mm-hmm. my prescribed pace, that was, uh, so it, it's not OCD, but it's a comfort thing. To, uh, to get confirmation, okay, you're mm-hmm. on track, you're on track, you're on track. And what else are you supposed to do out there? It's, uh, you entertain <laughs> yourself yeah. with looking at the distance, it's just increasing towards the marathon. Yeah, so I looked also at the time, just counting down, okay, now it's about 20 more minutes and mm. I can do this. So just pace, distance, the basics. Yeah, mostly for me on run, it's basically only pace, yeah. Mm-hmm. And what about you? I have heart rate, total time for the run, uh, pace and distance. Uh-huh. So using those four and just yeah, entertaining myself and making sure that the heart rate doesn't spike. Right, like if you suddenly have a crazy spike and it's super hot out, you can't come back from that, which kind of gets into core body temp uh, stuff, which obviously is hugely important. Once you kind of tip over a certain core body temp, uh, you're in big trouble, right? So talk a little bit about the work that you guys have put into maintaining a lower core body temp throughout the day in hot locations. Yeah, so it's not uh, trying to maintain as low core body temp as possible. Or just trying to it's not more, let It's it... more to tolerate mm. the, the, uh, the body temperature. But I was looking at, the, at my watch and on the bike and I was surprised actually how low it was. I guess it was lower temperature that day as well. But in training, I've been pushing way above 39 degrees at the warmest days. 
And uh, so, so how are you measuring core body temp? Like you have you you have something inside you that's syncing up with your watch, telling uh, you what yeah, your usually, core body temp or is, before. or is this secret proprietary? <laughs> no, before we had to uh, to put the pill inside, uh-huh. and uh, the normal way to do it was to to swallow it. But the issue there is you don't know exactly where the the temperature pill is, mm-hmm. and also if you drink cold water, you would affect the measurements. So to be more precise, we had to. Uh, Put it in the other end, mm. and that became a, a bit of a repository. Yeah, it became a bit of a, a hassle after some time because we have to use yeah single-use pills, obviously, and um, just download the data, no lay, live feed or anything. So uh, we got in contra- contact with a Swiss company that's called Core, and it's a device you put on the heart rate monitor instead. Ah, uh. and we have been helping them develop their algorithms and uh, yeah. So that's so interesting. We just so you like are getting a live feedback yeah. on your watch. Yeah. You know what your core body temp is and you also know the specific point at which if you tip over it, you're gonna be in trouble, right? But with that knowledge, how does that um, translate into the, like gauging your effort? It's a little bit the same with the heart rate. Like uh, if it's constantly increasing, then you yeah. know that you are in a bath or bad, bad uh, patterns or bad, mm-hmm. bad way. So uh, you just want to keep it like steady. And if you're increasing the pace, it's okay if it's the core temperature is increasing too. But if you're suddenly uh, riding at the same power and you're just gradually going, going uh, higher and higher, then you know that you will soon hit the wall. So it's more, you're looking at the numbers combined mm-hmm. together and not just one single number. Right. And what's really interesting that I learned from uh, using the core is that you don't feel warm when you're warm you feel warm when the temperature is increasing. So you can go from 37 to 38 and feel really warm at 38 because the temperature is rising so rapidly. But you can go also from 39.5 down to 39.3 and feel freezing mm. because the temperature is going down. So with that knowledge on the, uh, on the run, you can look at the watch and see, okay, are you actually warm now? Or just slight increase in temperature feeling warm? Mm. So you can be more yeah, have more data points than trusting the feeling because temperature is a really strange thing. You can, like this water is almost room temperature, but it feels cold because the energy transfer is higher, but the air doesn't feel cold at all. Right. So it's, uh, temperature is really, really hard to get like a feeling of from the human body. That's super interesting. Yeah, not intuitive then Yeah. at all. So to have the, the core monitor on just like at the side of the body instead of using the pills every day, it's a, it's a good thing for us. Right. Um, at some point in the race, like all of this stuff is is instructive and informative when you're out on the race course and you're, you know, four hours into an eight hour day or whatever it is. Um, but at some point, you know, the rubber meets the road and you're racing, right? You have to adapt. You got to react to, you know, what's happening out on the course, and and kind of just say fuck it, right? Like when you're in the hole, Christian, and you're like, all right, Gustav's making a move. Like all that shit goes out the window, right? Because you gotta you gotta bust it. So how do you make those decisions or um, you know, kind of balance all of the data with like, I'm an athlete in the middle of a race trying to win? I think you need to, so you have your numbers like in your data bank, but then when you're on, on the race course, you have your kind of uh, your upper limit numbers that you know that you can do, but mm-hmm. just for a short period of time. So for, so for example, on the bike, it's not like you're just going out at your, steady arm and power. Like when someone is surging, 
then you try to follow and and you're looking around and seeing how the field is responding and then hoping that the pace will slow down later uh-huh. on. And uh, so sometimes the bar can be like 30 watts higher, but then you hope that it's the same consequences for everyone and everyone will have to do it and then run slower right. in the run. Yeah, so you constantly have to evaluate. And I think having the data points in our training really gives us more information. So, uh, but with more information, you also have to do even more choices because, uh, yeah, you know the consequences of everything. Mm-hmm. So I could ride 400 watts for yeah, a shorter period of time. But uh, you know it's on the other side of that. Yeah, I know what's yeah. on the other side, and I know right, how like much you got you got this bank, use. right? Yeah. And you can you know you can make certain withdrawals, but yeah. if you make too many, with you know oh, that extra withdrawal, if I do that, yeah. this is going to happen. So yeah. you just have to take calculated risks yeah. and know the, the the consequences of those decisions. Yeah, if, and you just have to hope you have a bigger bank. Right? Even like rest. up to halfway halfway through yeah. uh, on the bike course, we were, I had a huge surge. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. they're like. Uh, yeah, 370 watts for like 10 minutes wow. in the middle of the race, just to bridge up to the guys, three guys up front. Uh-huh. That was just before Sam Lelo was breaking away and I had Gustav like on my wheel or- I had like to 12. catch up to you before that as well. Yeah. So 12 I had meters a, behind. I had like 30 minutes there with way above race pace. And, and then uh-huh. I thought, okay, this is hurting so badly. It's above threshold uh, and uh, I just hope that this will hurt Gustav more than me. Uh-huh. And if I can make it up to the guys up front without him, then I can get an easier travel back to Kona. Right. And then maybe have four minutes on him. Yeah. So much but, for working together. Yeah. You were trying to put distance <laughs> on him all the way back then. <laughs> yeah, and I, I saw this yeah. and I was like, this is the move. I was like, this is uh, like, the f- yeah. So- Yeah, uh, none of the commentators said anything about that. Like, no, I that think it's, it's hard to see from the yeah. outside, but I just saw Christian in front and I knew that if he caught up with the front group and I didn't catch up with him, that I would have a really, really hard time getting back mm. because I was uh, alone at that time. Uh, we had just um, broken away from our group. And uh, yeah, I just saw that this was like, yeah, if I don't make this, the race is over. It's done. Yeah. Right. So I really had to go way above race pace to, to make but it But you happen. know, you got that downhill after the turnaround. But yeah, but the downhill is still hard. That. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's even though you're not drafting downhill, when you have that many athletes and a motorcycle, it's a huge mm-hmm. boost being behind. But it's still, you still have to work for it right. for sure. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well being. But 
This quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's Feel Better, Live More podcast into your listening quiver. An RRP favorite and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation. A groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most. Mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There was a lot of speculation about what was going on inside your your jersey on the bike. Like, yeah. what did you have stuffed in there? Like, everyone's <laughs> like, "What is that? Is he trying to cool his core body temp? Did you just have bottles oh, in there?" It, just, was, it was a bit random, actually. So uh, we tried it in a wind tunnel earlier this year, and it's uh, mm. basically no aero penalty. It's slightly faster in crosswind, but it's not not really any difference. But the thing is, uh, I had a bottle in transition one. And usually we have this box in transition with our bikes where you can throw away your things. And I, yeah, I just didn't think it through. So when I came to the bike, I went to like throw away the bottle, but there was nothing there because Ironman transitions is, they're different mm-hmm. than the normal ones. And I knew if I just throw away the bottle, then I would get a penalty. So first I had it in my pocket in a rear, but it almost fell out. So then I thought, hmm. Maybe I should just put it in my jersey and uh, make like a story out of it, and ah. uh, people will repeat it in the future for like aero gains. But it's, uh, yeah, it was not really about the gains. It was not getting a penalty. Yeah, it was like, is this shape in here making yeah. it more aerodynamic? <laughs> He's trying to look but, more like me. With yeah. My, <laughs> yeah, the barrel <laughs> chest <laughs> inspiration. The barrel chest. Yeah. Um, well, the aerodynamic stuff is super interesting too. I mean, most people are familiar with cyclists going into the wind tunnel or time trialists trying to really dial in that aerodynamic position. But once again, you guys have gone next level. You did all this testing on a track with what's it called? Like body rocket? Body rocket, yeah. So what was going on there that you know elevated your understanding of, of being optimally aerodynamic? So currently, Oh, so we spent a lot of days in winter on this uh, winter just to be able to dial in the position on the bike. But the problem there is that the feeling you have in the wind tunnel isn't necessarily the way of riding outside. And uh, especially me, when I'm riding, I'm changing position quite a lot and uh, been moving the saddle a couple of centimeters back and forth. Mm. <laughs> like During the ride? No, 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 like- uh, Or just experimenting. Experimenting over like a training camp. Yeah, Christian is insane. So like, he can go one session and then, no, I don't have any power. Let's go up with the saddle four centimeters. Mm. It's not even millimeters. It's like, Uh, okay, uh, I'm gonna raise my my saddle so much right now. (laughs) Or I think I need to go (laughs) down. And I go down and no, I have to go up. So, uh-huh. uh, so it's more like, around. Uh, it's been tricky to find the body position, no, um, yeah, position on the bike. Um, 
But body rocket is like trying to bring what you do in the wind tunnel out in the field. So it has like sensors underneath your aero bars, like a, a small sensor there and also underneath your saddle and in your pedals. So in, by this way, you are separating your body from the bike. So mm-hmm. when you're out riding, you can measure all the wind that's coming to your body and you can measure where on the bike that you are getting the, the forces. So for example, see that you're not really aerodynamic in your mm. front of your, like with your arms or if it's your lower back or where the CDA numbers is increasing. That's some formula one shit. <laughs> That's like yeah. next level. But the vectors that you gotta factor in are not just aerodynamics, but comfort. You're gonna be on the bike for four plus hours and power, right? Power transfer. So any, you know, it's like, yeah, you can get super aerodynamic, but if that's not translating into Watts, or if you're so uncomfortable that you're gonna cramp or you're just not gonna be able to sustain it, that's not gonna work either. Yes, you need to have a good balance between the hamstring use and the quad use as well. Uh Because of, you, you do have to go out and run the marathon after it. So it's not just about getting as fast as possible on the bike. Right. And your your positions are very different. What's interesting, Christian, like also your bikes are different. You have a very unique bike, Christian. I don't know what's going on with that bike. And a, and kind of a, a weird odd position, like you're much more upright and your arms are, you know, like up high as well. So how did that, how did you arrive upon I that? feel I feel I haven't arrived yet to necessarily where I want mm. to be. It's been like a long uh, process of uh, getting there, but the, yeah, it's just the fact that I want to keep my power high and not just because if I go too low and I feel my stomach and chest goes into the knees and then I'm losing power. Mm-hmm. So it's more being able to still think about the run after the bike. While Gustav is maybe more flexible. and Yeah, and uh, I feel like I'm a natural cyclist and my cycle or my bike position is quite similar to that of uh, like time trial specialist in mm-hmm. in the Tour de France. So I have more like a traditional bike position. Yeah. 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 And that's just through rigorous testing. You've figured this yeah, out. Yeah, and also comfort. Yeah. yeah. And what feel natural. I, we, we've been to the, I've been to the winter myself as well. And we did just minor changes. It was mm-hmm. basically no changes because uh, for me, I knew that my position was quite fast based on power numbers and uh, the analysis we've done before. So we just had like slight increase in angle of the arms and um, yeah, right. small optimization. Right. Um, how are you guys feeling about the fact that uh, Fredino didn't race? Is he uh, on your mind? Is the mono imano against Jan? looming in the future? And how are you thinking about that rivalry? Of course, I have both the Hawaii race still to win and I've never raced against Jan. Mm-hmm. So uh, we will see what's happening in the future. You only have That's one. very pol- politically correct <laughs> answer. I think, I think he- Come on, man. You're not afraid to trash talk a little bit. He only have one more year, <laughs> I think. So yeah. one more Konas, we He's will see. He's an old man. See what's happening next year. <laughs> but it's three, it's three weeks between the grand final and Hawaii uh-huh. next year. So it's gonna be a quick turnaround. Gustav? Uh, I, I don't feel like I'm driven the same way with rivalry as Christian am. I, yeah, I want to win, but, uh, and I want to beat the best, but I don't have like this 
particular guys that I want to beat. I just want to beat everyone. Mm. So I don't have the need to beat Jan to feel better but, about myself. But I feel it would be cool to race against him. Like he's yeah, been for sure. Sure, yeah. the best in the sport since 2008 and yeah, been over a decade on top of the sport and really changed long distance triathlon. So just to take that opportunity to race him, I think is something. Uh, yeah, I had opportunity in uh, California last year, but then we had this insane storm coming in for Ironman and the race got canceled in race morning. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we went on the same start line, but never got the race. Right. Uh, so Jan was the first to become an Olympic gold medalist and then win at Kona, but it took him seven years to do it and two Konas, I think I have that correct. Uh, you guys, you Christian, you won the Olympic gold and then won St. George, which is technically the world championship, but with this asterisk because it wasn't Kona and Kona has this mystique and all of that. Um, so yes, there's still a little unfinished business there for you, and he is the goat. Um, but he's, you know, he's getting he's getting up there in years. Um, I would love to see that race, and I hope that it I hope that it transpires. We'd all like to see that, I think. But it leaves me wondering about, you know, other heroes that you might have. Like, do you look at other sports, and who are the people that you look to for inspiration, or maybe you don't? Maybe you're just like, yeah. I'm good, man. I'm I'm the champ. Uh, I don't think like <laughs> we're. Uh, it's not that we don't have uh, too many idols in other sport, but I think we just uh, find inspiration in the work we do and the conversation we have in the team. I know, yeah, me and Christian, we don't have any. You don't have posters on your wall of <laughs> no, this guy or that guy. No. Uh -uh. So it's uh, yeah, I don't know why, but I don't have like any huge sporting heroes. Mm. Well, when I started like uh, seeing like short distance triathlon on TV like ten years ago, then it was the era of Javier Gomez and mm -hmm. Alistair and Johnny and how they were changing the sport. So I guess I was back then looking up to like how they were dominating the race and really racing attackively, uh, attacking from the start and just like being in the front seat. And I think that has maybe been more my inspiration in triathlon more than long distance really, because yeah. we've always had like the dream towards the Olympics rather than Ironman actually. So uh, it's more like the short distance athletes that has been my inspiration. Mm -hmm. No, no like, no like heroes in football. The Bergen team's terrible though, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we don't talk about Bondi. <laughs> we don't talk about them. But yeah, I was I, reading. I, I grew up as a cyclist, so uh, yeah. obviously Thor Hustad mm. uh, was a huge inspiration right. back then. Right, the sprinter. Uh, yeah. Um, I was reading Brad Culp's article, the Red Bull article that he went and visited uh, you, Christian, in, in, in Bergen um, and was talking about this, confidence that people from Bergen have that is different from the typical kind of Norwegian humility. And I feel like you guys both have that, like you're humble and you're grounded, but you also have this quiet confidence about you. We have this saying that we are not from Norway, we're from Bergen. So I think it's like that self-belief and uh, uh, inner self from Bergen. Yeah. Um, can we talk about the sub seven thing for a couple minutes? Yes. Do you want to? <laughs> I'm going to head out. No. <laughs> Just for yeah. a minute. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but it's super fascinating for people that don't know. Much like that uh, 
sub two project where Kipchoge tried to break two hours in the marathon. Similarly, there was a project whereby you would be able through aid to try to eclipse the seven hour barrier and the Ironman, you did that, would you go like 644 or something like that? Yeah, six, something like that. Yeah, six foot four. Where you were getting pulled by, you know, a peloton of cyclists and paced on the run and all kinds of stuff. Um, it feels like a stunt, and I know that wasn't. This was not like a focus of your program by any stretch of the imagination. But I feel like it's something that gets people who aren't necessarily fans of triathlon excited about triathlon because it's something we can all kind of wrap our heads around. So I'm wondering, are you going to take another stab at that? Because I think there's a lot. I think I think six thirty is well within range with yeah. the right team and support. Yeah, it was a really fun project to be a, to be a part of. Like we had ten guys we could use however we wanted, like across swim, bike, and run. We ended up with one on the swim, eight on the bike, and one on the run. And uh, it ended up being more actually a race between my team and Joel Skipper's team, mm-hmm. and just making the cut under seven hours. Right. So uh, it was a really cool project, both to my, like for the training for myself to get physically fit enough to do it, but also like the whole build up with the team and organizing with the pacers and uh, the whole almost like team feeling of going into it. Right, so many people come into play to and really pull that off. And it's, like an, it's, like a, it's like a ballet almost of and people coming in and out. Both for Olav and Adam and Matt Portrilla had like a lot of tough weeks of uh, getting it organized Planning. and getting the yeah. team trained together and dialed in. And uh, uh, it's nice to look back and see that we actually did beat the other guys and also got sub seven. So uh, uh, great uh, experience. But any plans to do it again? Uh, not in the first few years. Yeah. Like the schedule now for, for going into Paris is so busy. Uh-huh. Like uh, the turnaround now to go back to short distance is maybe more or higher prioritized than trying right. to do something similar. Uh, having spent all this time at all these races, you just got back from Kona. You're, you know, one of the unique things about triathlon is that you race with the amateurs. Like you go to these huge races, but there's, you know, most of the people there are average Joes and Janes. What are the colossal fails and, and tragic mistakes that you see amateurs making? Like where you're just like, you're out training, you know, a couple of days before the race and you see people out there and you go back to your condo and you're like, can you believe that guy? What is he, what are these people doing? <laughs> I think uh, what's unique about triathlon is that everyone has so much knowledge about training and they are really, uh, yeah, they have a lot of knowledge, but it just comes down to execution and uh, just quality of training, I think. So uh, they might know like all the values for their altitude and those things, but yeah, still they don't train as much, I guess. And uh, not training enough. Like, yeah, or, I don't I, know. It depends. Like if, if you have it, a normal job, I mean, most people it, yeah. can't yeah, train yeah, that much, course. so that's sort yeah. of out of their hands. But yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of like simple things that you see people doing where they're like, "That guy's got it all wrong." Or, like the race know, week. Like, seriously, yeah. dude. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. Like race. out there, a lot, a lot of people out there are, doing intervals like two days before the race. Or a lot whatever. of people just uh, they have a really good plan on the bike for a training session before, and then they see me and Christian riding past, and their plan the goes out the window, and they just have to follow, follow 
follow, mm-hmm. put, put out their phone, ride past us and take a selfie and then yeah. let down. I don't uh, think that's the smartest move, but uh, I think most triathletes are training, yeah, training good. And it's hard to pinpoint exactly what they're doing wrong because I think most people are doing quite the right things mm. for me. Yeah. You definitely had media training. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> no, but honestly, but, yeah. triathletes are, they are- uh, In the forefront yeah, in terms for of sure. equipment yeah. I mean, it, triathlon's and, always been at the cutting edge of like science because they're tinkerers and they're willing to you yeah. know, try new things that perhaps professional cyclists or professional yeah. runners you know, won't. And I think that's cool and unique about the sport. But you know, I am interested in uh, perhaps you guys uh, conveying a little bit of wisdom about what you've learned over the many years that would be applicable to the average endurance athlete or endurance enthusiast, perhaps somebody who's out there contemplating their first marathon or their first Olympic triathlon, like where should their focus be placed and what types of things should they not worry about that maybe they spend too much time thinking what about? What I think sometimes is funny is to see how you can have amateurs being more professional uh-huh. uh, in terms of recovery than what we are. Like you do all the massage, you do the recovery booth, ice bath. But I think the most important thing of or factor is nutrition in and enough sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if they can just kind of throw out those hours they're using on their typical recovery thing and just getting more calories in and sleeping enough, I think that's really going to be beneficial. Yeah, but then you don't get to buy the cool stuff, and, <laughs> you know. A lot of it is about the the blingy yeah. stuff in yeah. triathlon too. I think. But then they can invest it in equipment instead, you know. Right. That's yeah. one, uh, yeah, level higher bike price. Mm. So for the recovery piece, what does that look like for you guys? I mean, sleep obviously. Do you do? Uh, ice bath, sauna, Normatec boots, like all that kind of stuff. We do nothing. Yeah, you don't do any of that. We do no. nutrition, sleep, and uh, training. Controlled. Yeah, yeah. I was watching Lionel Sanders' vlogs, you know? <laughs> and I guess you know he's he was staying at Chris Lieto's house. He's got yeah. an ice bath, and they were like playing around with the ice bath. And Lionel was like, "I can't do it. I don't, I don't want any yeah. part of this." <laughs> but, but we don't do that either. Like, yeah. uh, especially preparing for a warm race, like. Uh, uh, Kona, we wouldn't do ice bath like that. Yeah, well, it's interesting. And maybe this is a question for Olaf, but so many of those recovery modalities, I often wonder, are they robbing the athlete of the adaptation to exercise-induced stress that you're looking for? Like you want your body to have a response to the yeah. strain that you just yeah. put it through. And if you do too much recovery stuff, are you undermining like what you're actually trying to achieve? Yeah, we've seen that gains. with um, antioxidants in altitude. Right. So people take antioxidants because uh, they don't want to get the body inflamed and uh, yeah, health benefits. And it's good up to a certain amount, but if you do too much, you actually, yeah, as you just mentioned, you, you don't get all the benefits because you need some kind of inflammation or else you won't build back stronger. Mm-hmm. But I don't think uh, doing 50 minutes of massage is, do having any effect. If it's a comfort thing, it's a comfort thing, you can do it. But for me, I would never spend time to go out of bed to meet someone and have a massage. For me, it's better to just relax and watch YouTube or listen to a podcast or something. Mm. So just relax when I can and do do that well. Yeah, interesting, same for you. Yes, we have the same program there. Yeah. yeah. 
What do you guys? Uh, what do you? What do you do in your limited free time? I we, know. I know. Christian likes to watch Dexter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he likes watch. You watch Dexter, right? <laughs> The yeah. psycho killer, he's your hero. <laughs> so there's, he's, no, there's a poster of him on your wall. <laughs> yeah, like uh, up in the ceiling. Yeah, it's all about obsession. <laughs> no, no, normally we squeeze in like a power nap with like where we're just like in bed and just recovering until the next session. Uh-huh. So we, so I think if you see our daily work and how we do like how we spend our days, it can be very boring for a lot of people. And it's very simple, like it's swim, bike and run and, and just, with the meals in between and a power nap midday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a typical day for us in uh, altitude is waking up at uh, 7.30, go to the pool at like 8.15, swim for 90 minutes, go back, eat lunch, have a power nap. And a power nap for us is not the five minute standard. It's not the 10 minutes, mm-hmm. it's like more an hour midday, just sleeping. And then eat some more, have a bike ride, two, two and a half hours, three hours and then a short run, make dinner. So in Attitude or in Fondo Mobile, make the dinner ourselves every day. And then we eat, then we have a, a conversation with Olav about the training the next day and then we go to bed. Mm. So in that schedule, we don't have too much time yeah, to squeeze in uh, more than Dexter. So maybe, maybe you can ask him af- afterwards if he can start like doing two by 30 minutes of massage on the yeah. stuff. So where, where would you fit yeah. that in? It's well, the swan year comes to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you don't have to go it, anywhere. No, but that's as a still, cyclist. Yeah, I would think you'd be all in on that. Yeah, but cyclists only have uh, one session a day, you know, so it's easy to fit in in the afternoon. Slackers, or yeah, you call slackers. slackers. Yeah, <laughs> it's like they train maybe the same amount of hours, but they have one session, five yeah. hours, concentrated. It's easier to use the the free time. But we have, yeah, swimming takes a lot of time. It's always transportation, and you have to change. And yeah, swimming just takes a lot of time. But while cycling and running, you can always start from your house, basically. So, um, yeah, and also we have to figure out what we're going to train the next day. Mm-hmm. A lot of logis- logistics. And for us, we can say, when we finish swimming, okay, we're going to ride at two. And then we come closer to two and say, no, it's better to push it to one or to three. So to have an extra person like uh, Amosus into this whole picture to plan around, it's just adding to the stress. Too complicated. Yeah, so we yeah. like to have a flexible schedule and that's why we don't plan too much training with other people either. Yeah. So we just say, okay, we run in 10 minutes. So... Uh, and are you guys yeah, roommates easy. throughout all of this? We no, we are. But yeah. Christian is a heavy breather during the night. <laughs> and I'm, my ears are actually sore now. I have like a bloody ear because... Uh, you share the same bedroom? Now we do, yeah. Just for, just for four days here. No, okay. we, and we did in uh, two and a half weeks in, uh, yeah, we in did Hawaii. That, that's true. Yeah. 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 No so, girlfriends. So I have- No girlfriends? No, 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 okay. no, no girlfriends. <laughs> okay. But I have to wear my AirPods in the air to just cancel out all the noise. <laughs> but it's, it's getting a bit Those stressful lungs, for me. Those lungs, man. Yeah. Too much uh, oxygen going through the system. It's not yeah. only have your, own, your own bedrooms. Yeah, we usually At this have point, yeah, yeah. being super famous celebrities. Usually we have, but now it was a bit uh, uh-huh. with the logistics and uh, the Kona and here, so it's sometimes yeah. we have to share, but it's okay for a shorter period. But now I feel like it's been a <laughs> bit too long, so it's gonna be right. good to have my own bedroom. Uh, final thing, and then I'll let you guys go. And uh, I'm I'm just curious about 
mindset, like how you maintain your focus on on these goals and and stay plugged in when the going gets tough and you know, I don't know, it's the middle of the winter and you're just it's session, session, session. Like you are living a very monk-like existence in order to achieve these, you know, insane goals that you've set for yourself. How do you, you know, stay fresh with that and, you know, goal oriented? Yeah, it's uh it's strange because I had the same goal for so many years to take the to Tokyo Olympic gold, and uh, then after the race, I just felt like, was this it? Well, like, have everything I've been working towards? Did I do enough and everything? And after that, I was a bit kind of empty for some time because I didn't have a a bad performance. I came top ten in my first Olympics, and I was like happy with my performance in itself, but I didn't reach my goal, my long-term goal for, yeah, 10 years. And uh, after a week, I was just already on to the next one and uh, was Paris and uh, ready to to go again. Mm-hmm. And I don't do anything particular with my my motivation or anything. For me, it comes quite natural. So, um, yeah, I don't know. No, like <laughs> like sort of practices or mantras or techniques that you- Not deploy. really. And I don't watch any like triathlon videos to get myself motivated or like motivational speeches or anything. For me, it, it comes from within and it's a natural thing. Mm-hmm. I guess Dexter, a lot of Dexter's your North, your North star. <laughs> it's just in the DNA <laughs> watching you. Like I'm very motivated by uh, races. So even though I had a very opposite experience with Tokyo winning the goal or race that I was working towards for 10 years, mm-hmm. basically straight after I was thinking about Hawaii. Like I really wanted to win Hawaii and Back then, I first had to qualify before I got the wild card, and uh, uh, yeah, it's just yeah setting new targets. Mm-hmm. And if it goes wrong, like now in uh, Hawaii when I finished uh, third, then and then watching the pictures uh, when he's crossing the finish line first, and I just think that okay, in twelve months time, mm-hmm. then I do want to cross the finish line first yeah. again. So it's more- The fire's burning hot. When it's going well, you just want to repeat it again. When it's going not that well, then it's even more like a slap in the face and okay, wake up and uh, try to get back on track. Yeah. But it's easier to be motivated when you see Christian also motivated. And I guess it's the same for Christian for me. So we do feed off each other in that way. Right. And we don't spread like the or sometimes we do. Sometimes like life is hard. You ever, there must be moments you're yeah. like, I'm sick of this guy. Like I need to, I need to hang out with someone else. Yeah, but Christian is uh, really direct in that way. He just puts on his uh, AirPods and then and silent. And we can go training sessions, even though we train together, like we're not talking at all. Mm-hmm. And then we can have some training session. We're like talking for three hours straight. Right. So uh, even though we are like together, we give each other like the space. space. It, yeah. it's, it's not often I put in the AirPods though. No, but it, it, it can be it can yeah. be a week. That's the signal. Leave me alone. It can be a week straight, but it's not often. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it doesn't necessarily need to be reason for. It. It's just like the mood that okay yeah. now. And yeah. when you when you when you do put the AirPods in in the training, are you listening to music or what do you what do you listen to? It can be everything. Yeah. Sometimes just noise canceling on. Yeah. Oh, really? oh wow, interesting. 
<laughs> yeah, but it's uh, it's easier to uh, to train with someone when you know like we are in this together. We have the same ambitions. We have to, yeah. And uh, also now going into to Kona, we looked at each other for as the biggest competitors. So uh, we had a training session. We had a lunch at the Four Seasons, mm-hmm. and the food was a bit too good. So we, we ate a bit too much, and then we came to the run in the afternoon. And uh, yeah, we both had a a bad day. But since we both like our biggest competitors, when I said, "Okay, I'm gonna stop it now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna quit the session," Christian said, "Okay, then I can stop as well." <laughs> but that yeah. was more as a joke, though. Yeah, it was. It, <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah. still, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, that was. Uh, so, so you went to the toilet after the first interval, <laughs> and I went out to the rocks and had to pick up the lunch. <laughs> so, so that that's what happened when I'm not in charge of the planning of the day, yeah. <laughs> putting yeah. on a run session straight after lunch. <laughs> Yeah. So you you left a, a deposit of, uh, of 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 your own body on the lava fields there for Madame Pele <laughs> yeah. to contemplate. That's good karma. <laughs> Must be good karma. Must be. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I have so much admiration and respect uh, for both of you guys. I'm a huge fan, and it was a delight watching you guys go head to head the other day. And I can't wait to see what you guys accomplish in the years to come. So. Uh, at your service, and it was just a delight to talk to you. So thank you. Thank Appreciate you very much. You guys. Thank you for having us. Yeah, I love this bromance. It's good. <laughs> I hope you guys stay together forever. <laughs> at some point, you're going to need girlfriends, but you know. <laughs> we're working on it. Yeah, we're working cool. so hard on it. But the, the problem here again, Ulav with his consequences. So he pulls uh, up like yeah. this. Um, the voice of God. Yeah, it pulls up this uh, statistics that uh, yeah, athletes with girlfriends, they perform worse than <laughs> the ones without. So uh, always with the consequences. I don't it's think, up to you. Yeah, I know, but uh, I have the choice, but you have to know that if you go through with this, then uh, you Eight might- Eight months, you're done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, playing on consequences. All right. Well, yeah, you could put that, that data point in maybe after Paris. Yeah, we'll see. We'll okay. see. Yeah. Uh, well, come back and talk to me again, you guys. Super fun. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Peace. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. I truly hope you enjoyed the conversation. To learn more about today's guest, including links and resources related to everything discussed today, visit the episode page at richroll.com, where you can find the entire podcast archive, as well as podcast merch, my books, Finding Ultra, Voicing Change in the Plant Power Way, as well as the Plant Power Meal Planner at meals.richroll.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest and most impactful thing you can do is to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and on YouTube and leave a review and or comment. Supporting the sponsors who support the show is also important and appreciated. And sharing the show or your favorite episode with friends or on social media is of course, awesome and very helpful. And finally, for podcast updates, special offers on books, the meal planner and other subjects, please subscribe to our newsletter, which you can find on the footer of any page at richroll.com. Today's show was produced and engineered by Jason Camiolo with additional audio engineering by Cale Curtis. The video edition of the podcast was created by Blake Curtis with assistance by our creative director, Dan Drake. Portraits by Davey Greenberg and Grayson Wilder. Graphic and social media assets, courtesy of Jessica Miranda, Daniel Solis, Dan Drake, 
and AJ Akpodiete. Thank you, Georgia Whaley, for copywriting and website management. And of course, our theme music was created by Tyler Pyatt, Trapper Pyatt, and Harry Mathis. Appreciate the love, love the support. See you back here soon. Peace. Plants. Plants.